Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And boy, am I happy to be here today, as you'll hear in just a minute. But let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing tonight. In Yitzhak Hashem, we're going to be discussing some of these following issues. Elite, elite products in Israel, a changed Tashkocha. We'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, the vegan story that we talked about a few weeks ago, it, it came up again in something that came across my desk, which was just published, and I'm going to be commenting on that issue about the vegan restaurants. And then there's a interesting piece on Pas Yisrael and Bishu Yisrael from David Cohn, Rabbi David Cohn from Chicago, and uh, there's an article, What Could Be Wrong, different foods that we eat, what could be wrong with them, a very interesting article from Rabbi Luban, which I just read uh, today, although I had it in my hands for a few weeks, but uh, I got around to reading it today, and I want to share some of that information with you. But let me tell you first, um, and, and, I, and I also want to make sure that I talk about uh, Rabbi Moshe Perilli Zatzal, who passed away. I want to mention a few points about my connection with him. Uh, let's start with the, my uh, reason for being happy to be here today. Yesterday, I spent a day in a different state. I like to call it the state of confusion. I, I can't go into the details, but I can just tell you that it was a very long day. And when I pulled into a small shawl in a little town, which I'd never been in, Again, in a different state, but this was not a state of confusion. I pulled into Davin Marv. I was the first person there, and Baruch Hashem, everybody else came in also, so we had a minion for sure, but not much. A little more than a minion. It was a small town, and we were surprised that we had as many Jews there as Davin Mincha on time as, as there were. Baruch Hashem, it was rainy, you know. So, um, uh, but it worked out, and I and I and I davened. I couldn't get over it. How, the, the emotion that I had, that I had just left the state of confusion, and I and I was joining my people again, and here I was davening with ten, fifteen Jews who I never saw before. Actually, I do the rabbi, but the, the other Jews I didn't see before, and probably maybe will never see again, and. And I, I just said, I'm home. I don't know these people. They don't look like me. They, they, you know, we don't have necessarily a lot in common. But we're all davening mincha together. It would, with the right way. Everything just the way it's supposed to be. And I, I, I can never get over that feeling that I had yesterday. And also, I, I tell you, when I davened out of town, in the small little shoals all across the, I mean, I don't travel that much, but whenever I did travel and I dove in these small shoals, I was always struck by the people. Very sincere. They come on time. It's not like in Brooklyn. <laughs> they all showed up on time. I mean, maybe one or two stragglers, but everybody else was on time. In Brooklyn, I see them coming and going. There's four, three or four people using the same seat in shul because the, this one left and that one came. It's, it's wild sometimes what happens. But, I, this these small towns, rabbi is calling mincha for four twenty-five. That's when they showed up. A whole ten, twelve, fifteen of them, whatever it was. It was just, uh, it was just amazing how 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 Jews get together 
over Mincha, Mar, Shachris. You know, we have our commonality, and we all registering that we're all Orthodox Jews, davening in a proper way, and it's just a very good feeling, and especially when you come from a state of, of confusion to another state where you where you can it look it looks normal, even though it's far away from home and people are not the same as you, but we really have it all in common. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it was it was just a, a wonderful end to that day, which was some of it I wanted to forget. So let's go on to some of the things of tonight. Unfortunately, I do have, have to say a few words about Rav Moshe Perilli. Now, I knew Rav Moshe Perilli Zatzal. He passed away two weeks ago. I, I knew him. He was, he was a Rebbe in, in, in Derech Chaim in Borough Park. And before that, he learned in Mi Yeshiva. And he was considered to be an outstanding Masmid, big Talmud Chacham. I went last night for a few minutes to the to Haskara uh, that they had in Mir Yeshiva. He was an he was an unbelievable person, Pashtus, simple, simple, but Torah is the only thing in his life, and there is no such thing as Batala. There's no waste of time. The thing that I remember from the days when he was in Mir Yeshiva, the same time that I was, the thing that's always stuck in my mind was everybody, you know, was a long seder in Mir Yeshiva. It's not some yeshivas are you know they it's you know uh, it starts at uh, nine thirty ten and then 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 it maybe at uh, one one fifteen and then you know and maybe the daven mincha before the second seder and you go to you go to lunch about one o'clock in me yeshiva you didn't do that <laughs> you know until you got to that meal it was late it was very late. And uh, and then you had to get online, and and and, and he didn't rush back to the yeshiva as fast as maybe we should have. But there were two Jews, Moshe Perilli and his Chavrosa, who used to say it's a waste of time to go to lunch, <laughs> waste of time. I mean, that's everybody needs a little break. No, it's a waste of time. So they stayed in the yeshiva at their shtender, and of course they have to eat. So they got permission from the Rosh Hashiva, whatever. That they he that they ate a sandwich there at the stender, maybe with a can of soda. That was lunch, not once a week, every day. They never left the base medrash. That's how he lived his whole life. So it was not too many years ago. One of my daughters was going out with a young man from Yeshiva Derechayim. I think Rabbi Perilli was his Rebbe, or maybe he wasn't. And I asked about him. I said, um, does, "Does he, you know?" I mean, tell him the story about the lunches with the with the with the with the, uh, the sandwiches for lunch. This is, you know, thirty-five years later. The boy told me he does the same thing. That's lunch. Wow, that was lunch. You just go on and on. You don't stop. You keep going until you fall asleep at night. That's it. There is nothing. It's just tired. That's that was Moshe Pillar. So that's one story. And then over the years, he called a couple of times to ask a Shaila, or I mean, a Kashvis question, not a Kashvis. The Shaila could ask himself. I'm saying it's a good question about Kashvis. He asked me a question too. And when he was very sick towards the end. So some people in the family called me up and asked me about a certain product. What did I think about it? What's the story? 
it had a hashkacha, but there were things with it that weren't 100%. And I knew he was sick because I was davening every day for him. And and I I didn't know how to answer. I didn't know how to answer the question because I knew the answer. The answer is it was no good. But he's in a very bad situation. So I told them exactly two ways to look at it, and I told him he had to get a psak. And that was the end of that story, and he passed away very shortly afterwards. I couldn't say it was fine, because it wasn't. But a person that sick, maybe, maybe, a rov would say, based upon what I knew, maybe. I didn't want to say it. I couldn't say it. And I knew that if he were well and he were asking me to shower, he would never take it. And I knew. But I couldn't say it to the family because they were, they were trying to find ways to keep him alive. So I answered it and gave them how to proceed, proceed further. And the last story is something I read in Hamodia. I, I was shocked. And it said that he was in the hospital towards the end, couldn't eat anything, couldn't get anything into his system, and they wanted just to keep moisture in him, so they gave him ice chips. And he inquired, uh, in the hospital filter the water. The man is dying. The man is extremely sick. The man can't do anything. Had terim galore. But is it filtered? Now, I don't know the truth because someone I told the story to someone. He told me that the the the, uh, the, the hospitals filter water in in New York City. I don't know if it's true. I tried to find out. I wasn't able to find out before this show. So I don't know the answer. If somebody finds out the answer, let me know. I'd be interested in finding out. But Moshe Peril, Rabbi Moshe Perilli Zatzal did not know that it was okay, and therefore he refused the ice chips. And they had to bring him some from another place, which took a few hours. A man in that matzav to suffer over kashras. Unbelievable. Unbelievable story. Unbelievable man. He was uh, one in a generation. A tzaddik in many, many, many ways. Uh, and anyone who knew him knew that. And the Baruch, we should he should be a male siyotzer for everybody who knew him. Okay, that's a serious topic, but I felt I had to do it. Now, simple things: elite is changing hashgacha, so it means a lot in Israel. It may mean something to people; it may not. But I'll read to you what I got. Elite is moving from the kashrus of the Eid Haredis to Rabbi Westheim, it's called UK Co-Hersher. Um, the change has already affected many products, and it will eventually be on the stores. You'll see it that way. Some products have an OU as well. So if you you know if you have an OU, and that's good for you, and that's fine, and, but the Eid HaRed has represented a special level of Hashkocha. Elite is a challenging Hashkocha, and there have been issues with Elite over the years. I have no idea if this was 
uh, a money issue, uh, limitations that they placed on them. Uh, so just personalities. I don't know what, what happened. I have no idea what happened. But my guess is that uh, they're going to be more open to do different things now with the change of Hashkocha. Because the Badatz is very, very limiting. It doesn't allow you much freedom. Elite always had other Hashkochas. But they all, but they had on their high-end products, the ones that we're getting in America, a lot of the products came with it. Maybe came with an OU too. But it came with a Badatz Hashkocha. And that's a very, uh, a very interesting question about what changes are taking place over there. And I don't have anything further to say now. But I just wanted to let you know that. The next topic that I'm going to discuss um, will be about vegan, which we had a little while ago, and I'm going to bring it up again. Before that, I just want to make two quick announcements. We began a shear in last week. Baruch Hashem was very, very good and attended by some extraordinary people who who, who know their Yoridea or are interested in their Yoridea. It was a beautiful shear last week. You know, we our shirma we call a chabura with discussion, and it's open. It's not, it's not something just not a lecture. It's something we we're, we're learning it together in this forum. It's a beautiful experience. And uh, anybody who wants to join us tonight at eight thirty at one 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 four Avenue O. That's one 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 four Avenue O. Uh, at, uh, that's called Avrechim. It's one flight up. And um, if you have problems getting in. Um, so, you know, you'll knock on the door or something because there's a, a little code. I can't say it on the radio. Um, but you should be able to get in. It's 1114 Avenue O, 830 on Monday nights. If you can't make tonight, which we do Basa Bacholov, we have three other Shiurim completely different, uh, also on Yeridea. On Wednesday night, we do Basa B'cholov, a little more, a little later on in Saudi base. And then on uh, Thursday night, we're doing uh, Taruvis in, uh, in, in, in Kovov. And then, uh, I think, I don't know, I think it's Kovov, I'm not sure anymore. And on Sunday night, we do also Yeridea. We do, we do, his, uh, we're also doing, um, in, in Kufches in, in, uh, Taruvis. So we have four different Shiurim, four different groups. Baruch Hashem, some of them come to several shiurim. So if you're interested in learning Yeridea, if you're interested in smich or you're interested in learning Yeridea, come join us. There's no charge. Okay. Uh, that's 1114 Avenue O. Tonight, uh, Monday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night or Sunday night at 830 to 945 with Ma'ariv following. Okay. The other announcement I just want to make is that uh, <laughs> anybody who would like to get a subscription to the magazine. We're making a special where you're going to get free a kosher supervision guide, which is a $15 item, and the kosher travel guide, which is a $9 item. That's $24 worth of, of additional uh, magazines, uh, all for the same price of a one-year subscription. So if you call us at 718-336-8544, leave your message, 718-336-8544, or send us an email at kashras. K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com and we'll give you the J-Root special with these two free books. Now, uh, I hope we'll have a chance for to call in 
If anybody wants to call in, you can call us at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. You can also text us at 347-927-8398. That's 347-927-8398. And again, the studio number, 718-683-5858. So I mentioned about this uh, vegan restaurants business, which is very, very important. And actually, what the article from Rabbi Luban also ties a little bit into this. We brought you, I believe it was from the Yoyu, I don't remember anymore because it's not in front of me at the moment, but we brought you a, a lengthy discussion about what could be wrong in a vegan restaurant. Now, just this week, a publication put out an interview with somebody who gives hashkocha on vegan restaurants. Not only does he give hashkoch on vegan restaurants, that's about all he does. I mean, he has others also, but that's one of his biggest businesses is vegan restaurants. And he has them all over the place. In fact, he actually has hashkoch in eight states and four different countries. It's not a giant organization, but it's a significant organization. And this is the interesting part of it. He represents a different kind of hashkacha, which is unfortunately, in my mind, is unfortunately uh, offering an alternative to the traditional hashkachas. See, the traditional hashkachas, whether it's the OU or the OK, the Kuf K, the Star K, or the CRC in Chicago, they're offering you a certain, what I call American standard of kashras. And, of course, there's the Hamish organizations, the CRC in, in, in Williamsburg and K, KCL in Lakewood and many, many groups that are, you know, offering you a, um, probably an upgrade from the national standard or at least a very, uh, hands-on local kind of hashkacha, whatever. It's a nice, solid hashkachas around. And, for example, if you go to the OU and you say, I want to do a restaurant. So you always say, one second, your restaurant? Yes. Do you know what that's going to cost you? We have to give you a mashkir tamidi. How many hours you open? Uh, all told, 14. Well, no one's going to work 14 hours. So you have to have two people. And then there's going to be fill-ins. And you cannot open your building until you get that mashkir in. Now you're paying two, that's two salaries. It's going to cost you maybe $100,000 or more a year. Are you ready to take that for the restaurant? So that's what the OU is going to tell you. And it's a nice little hefty fee. But that's what it costs. I mean, you can't offer what the OU is giving you without the $100,000. And you can't do it without a mashkir timidi unless we were relying on you as the owner. And here, these vegan restaurants are basically owned by non-Jewish people. And, uh, you know... <laughs> Somebody's going to be watching the show, right? So that's how everybody in, you know, tries to do it. And that, same thing in Israel. That was the, you know, the Rabbanot, uh, doesn't always have a mashkiach tamidi, but they have a mashkiach coming there every day. And, uh, they sometimes do have a mashkiach tamidi, depends upon the, the particular kind of situation. And, and, uh, then in Israel, somebody started offering, you know, a cut rate. Simple program, relying on the restaurateur himself, even though he wasn't Shomish Shabbos. And he's open on Shabbos. But 
he claims to be kosher and he wants to be kosher. And this rabbi says, we trust him. And that's it. That's the new, the new alternative hashkocha standard that is creeping in. And this other rabbi over here is doing it in some ways. Maybe it's not the same. Maybe it is. I could, if he gets on the show, I'll we'll discuss it with him. But I'm not going to discuss his name and his hashkocha. But I am going to read to you from some of the pieces that are in this particular article because it was absolutely shocking to me to read it. Let's start a little bit at the beginning. He started giving hashkochas on the uh, on these on these vegan restaurants, and somehow he and he decided, you know, that a lot of the hashkochas are too tough with the restaurants. So he decided it's going to be reasonable and fair. Now, this is a ben, this is a person who, who went to yeshivas was smicha, not going to take it away. But he sees things differently than the conscious agencies in America see it. He sees himself as someone who caters to the restaurants he certifies, not the other way around. This is a quote now. One of the things I noticed was that some conscious agencies don't realize that they have to treat the restaurants or factories as clients, as customers. The attitude I saw was that they were doing you a favor by being kosher certified. And so I figured, I want to change that. Well, I don't know if that's how it comes across, but let's see how he decided to change it. He said that the vegan restaurants are the easiest ones to certify, and there's very little problem in their being kosher. So uh, he said that... Uh, Other people are claiming that they'll only give a, a vegan restaurant hashkocha if it has a mashkiach who's on site all the time that the business is open. All business hours, he has to be there. And uh, so that's something that this rabbi feels is not necessary. He doesn't feel that it's necessary to have the mashkiach to meet. He considers it to be an unfair burden on the on the restaurant. And uh, what he does, he claims that when he goes into a community, he always tries to avoid challenging the local kashrus agency, but he either goes to another area or he, I suppose he discusses it with him or whatever. He says he goes out of his way to assure that the vad or kashrus wouldn't, in, wouldn't uh, uh, feel that this his, his ashkoch is interfering with theirs. So I must tell you, that a few months ago, I got a call from one of my Talmidim, from not current Talmidim, from before, many years ago. He got smicha from my yeshiva, Birkas Ruvain, and he is a knowledgeable person and travels all over the place. He's actually been in almost all of the states of the Union. He goes to the... Uh, he goes to the capitals, I believe, of each one of the states, and he's been in almost all of them so far. Young man, but he like he likes to travel. So he told me he was in this town, and this particular hashkocha that we're talking about, we're not going to mention the name, has maybe a dozen vegan and uh, restaurants and things like that, owned by non-Jews, open on Shabbos, the whole the whole shmir, and. Uh, 
be looking into, you know, who handles that over there in that town. And sure enough, we spoke to the rabbi who lives in the town, and then we asked him about it, what, what's going on there. And he said, yes, it's open on Shabbos. Yes, we don't have a mashkiach. Yes, all the things that we knew were going on with this particular hashkocha. And well, what's the reason why, you know, you are mem- uh, you are an upstanding rabbi in the community, in an Orthodox shul, and uh, you're actually a member of the local vad. Why would you do this and 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 sort of competing with the regular vad and it's offering what you see is a little bit lower hashkocha? So he said, yes, that's true. But the problem was that his people need to go there. They need to go to these non-kosher places. They were going to go without the hashkocha. That's the people in Daven and Ashul. And he's figured, instead of that, let me go in and do what I can, even if it's not everything. So I'm not there that often. And uh, there is no mashkiach in the places. And uh, it's true it's open on Shabbos. And it's true they serve vegetables and they claim to, you know, clean them. And uh, that's sort of the best I can do. And, you know, do try to come by. And that's what that rabbi is doing. I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't speak to the other Ashkoch in town. But I thought uh, this is really undoing Kashrus, not uh, improving it. Yes, it's becoming more available to everybody. But at what at what cost? No, but... Yeah. Are we cheating ourselves? <laughs> no, I'll tell you, the truth. first of all, I don't know why not to say that Ashgacha, because it's I really... Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't do that. I, I don't know, deal with I that. Know, I, I know, don't. but you say, it's, it seems like it's really, it's ridiculous. Uh, people that you're trying yeah, to but get... Yeah, but, I, but I, I'll tell you what happens. This is what, uh, Nisim, I'll tell you what happens. I get calls about this rabbi more than anybody else in America. The, I mean, the question about rabbis, I get called about this particular rabbi more often than anybody else. But, but and I always answer them in the same way. All the stores are open on Shabbos, and there's no mashkiach. So for 90% of the people, that ends the discussion. So Some people say, but is it okay? Those people I have problems with, I think they're, in, they're coming from the state of confusion that I talked about earlier. But, but, the, but obviously, if I'm telling you, calling me up, and you're asking me about this particular ashkoch and this particular restaurant, and I say, it's open seven, I didn't even have to look. I said, it's open seven days a week, and there's no mashkiach. And that's what this article is saying. That's exactly what he does. So so if that's what he's offering you, do you get the message? And some people don't, but most of them do. It doesn't, and usually I go a little further if I have to, but I can't go ahead and But say, you know what? I have a friend that has a restaurant, you know, and he said, well, I don't want to say the neighborhood. And he said that the most of his competition is not another kosher restaurant. It basically non-kosher restaurants. Right, right. This. So you people give, think you, what could be wrong. They yeah, think what could be wrong. Exactly. So the people like this, if you give this stamp of, okay, it's worse. It's really worse. People think, okay. Uh, so I, no. now we see the case. If, you, if you're really cheating the people. Well, that's what it is. That's the way it is in this world today. I'm trying to explain that there are people who are, at the same time, we're trying to reach the heights and the sophistication, I'm telling you, you people would be amazed at the sophistication of the different Rabbonim in, in Kashrus today. You know, I, I, I have, do the work for get, uh, deciding who's the Mashkiach of the year, and we're just about to the, to the decision of who's the Mashkiach of the year, but we'll probably know in one day or two. And 
the uh, the mashkiach of the it's very hard job for me to figure it out. But these people who work in the field, when I talk to them, I'm absolutely shocked. First of all, they're very sophisticated. They're using words I never heard. They're talking about, about techniques and, te- and technology, things that I never even knew existed. And every year when I speak to them, I'm learning new things. And, I, and I'm absolutely amazed how somebody today has advanced. In the old days, you took a mashkiach. He sat in a restaurant. He had a gemara. Hey, they, he did the rabbis the deliveries. He got up out of his seat to take a look. They turned the fire on. That was that was a mashkiach in the old days. No such thing anymore. The gemara, yeah, at night, dafyomi in the morning and night, but during the day, you don't see any gemara out. The mashkiach is utilizing his koiches the entire day. He's working, and he's challenged, and he's using every part of his brain and body all day long to preserve kashras. At the end of the day, he feels, I did it. But it was hard. But that's kashras. Not the, the the other way, and listen, I'm not taking away from the original mashkich, maybe they learned, they learned through shas. But as far as kashras, they didn't do anything for us because they, maybe they didn't need to. Maybe they're all from owners. But today, we have a situation I spoke to a mashkiach who, who, who was close to being maybe one of those that might make it to be a mashkiach of the year. He has 30 people in the plant that he works on. The other one has, has much more in the plant. He told, one, one of the mashkichim told me he has a, it's a football field. It's gigantic. And there are three facilities that he has to physically go from one thing to another all day. And he's, he's supervising and watching and reporting and with his, and he, and he has to, he has to maintain control. I would not be able to do it in my brain. That's what, we, what a mashkiach is. So that's what kashrus demands. And a restaurant is no different than a caterer or a, or a plant. It demands a person working all day to see that everything goes right. And it's impossible for me to believe that a restaurant could be truly kosher without a mashkiach present. Unfortunately, even in Flatbush, where we live today, um, many of the restaurants do not have a mashkiach tamidi. But okay, maybe they have a from owner, maybe there's a from person on the on the staff, maybe the mashkiach is there enough of the time. I'm not going to judge, but uh, really, we do need on-site mashkichim. I didn't finish the story. i got to keep going on here because this is unbelievable. Now, this rabbi contends that the other certifications put too much stock in stringencies that are unnecessary. These are the words that are used in the article, such as hashkacha temidis, where mashkich has constant supervision, either remotely, via camera, or in person, which is often financially burdensome for a restaurant. Nebuch. And this rabbi decided to be fair and affordable. I understand that. So what does he do? Here's his system. He goes down and he combs through all the ingredients that the, that the place uses. And then if a restaurateur insists on using non-kosher wine or balsamic vinegar as an ingredient in the food, they won't certify it. I don't know if it means that they don't allow non-kosher wines in the in the in the uh, restaurant. I don't know. Maybe he does allow non-kosher wines in the restaurant, but it's an ingredient that can't be used. Uh, it's if it's a vegan restaurant, we'll go once a week, then every ten days. In other words, we start out once a week, and then we go as we go along. We trust them more and more, and now we only go every ten days. 
and I didn't find out the end of it, what happens if they trusted me after the 10 days? Then it becomes even less and less and less. For yogurt places, what? Yeah. For, for, for yogurt places, which is pretty much kosher, it's I, I just ice cream will go a, will go less frequently. So now we're not anymore every ten days. Maybe we're every two weeks. Maybe every month. Maybe every two months. Whatever it is, and you get the message. In other words, yes, it's more it's more uh, affordable, but yes, there are less people coming less often and less control and more relying on the non-Jewish people. Now, this is the next line is what really throws me in a tithy. I'm quoting from the article. He attempts to explain his certification standards to concerned customers who ask questions about whether his vegan restaurants check for bugs. They do. Who is they do? Who is the they do in a non-Jewish restaurant non-Jewish staff from A to Z, who is the, the they do on checking the vegetables? I just don't believe it, but that's what it says. And the restaurants are very serious about not serving bugs. So in other words, their standards of checking what they consider to be an effort to make sure that there's no bugs we're relying on them totally. I can't believe it. This man is a graduate of a yeshiva gedola that everybody respects. And he is offering not just non, not just open on Shabbos, not just no mashkiach, but he lets the non-Jewish people certify that your vegetables are bug-free. Ribbono shalolam. What about Bishul uh, Israel? <laughs> so they, so the one of the things that they do, he doesn't have it here. But one of the things that they'll they'll claim is that all of those things are not really bishalakim problems, because I ah, you went there, you paid a lot of money for for, for supper, yeah, but it's not chashuv, it's not chashuv enough, because they won't give you fish and they won't give you meat and all that. But even eggs is considered bishalakim. It's very hard, and it's it maybe real real vegan doesn't have the eggs, maybe not. But still, in all, whatever whatever you're doing, uh, it's it seems to me an impossibility to rely on goyim to maintain kashra standards, and that is being offered. If I would tell you the number of people that call up about this hashkocha, you'd be shocked. And if you would find out the the kinds of people who are calling me up, you would also be shocked. And it's absolutely ridiculous. People tell me, I'll tell you how it works. It always happens the same. A person works in New York. This place is right near my my job where I work. This is right near where I work. It's across the street. So they got to call up Rabbi Wickler and see if it's okay because it's right across the street. It it doesn't take any brains to see that the place is open seven days. It's on everything in the store, <laughs> on the front of the sign. It's on every menu. It's on every place. It says seven days a week on the end, website. Seven days a week. That means Shabbos. And it, and you don't see a, a Jewish person in the building. You don't, there's no mashkiach and you're relying on them to check for insects in your food. Would you hire a woman who's working in the house and you say to her, Oh yeah, uh, Elsie, please do the vegetables for me. I mean, this is ridiculous. It is, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. And, uh, of course they're all open on Shabbos. So that's a little look 
at one of the alternatives. At the same time, I want to read to you from my good friend, Rabbi Yaakov Lubin, who works for the OU. And this article was actually printed a number of years ago in Adafa Kashrus, and they reprinted it because it's just so important. I think that's that's what I see here. No, 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 it wasn't so bad. No, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't an old one. It's a rather new one, but it, it was reprinted in the in this 250th edition of Dafa Kashrus. OU puts out a thing called Dafa Kashrus. I like to plug them because this is a, a, a tremendous piece of work Rabbi Yosef Grossman puts together. Uh, I'm jealous. <laughs> so, uh, well, he has all these great people in the OU working there to be able to give him the articles. Anyway, if you want to, you can get a co- you can get a copy. Uh, you can get on the on the mailing on the on the email list. Just contact Rabbi Grossman two one two six one three eight two one two. It's that simple enough, right? Two one two six one three eight two one two, and that six one three is every one of the OU numbers. That's what they put it in there for. Anyway, uh, so Rabbi Luban wrote this article called What Could Be Wrong With? And he discusses a lot of different things. But I'm going to zoom ahead, even though I'm going to come back to the beginning. But i got to zoom ahead, and i got to talk to you about what he says about uh, the kinds of things that we're dealing with here. Let me take one quote out of order because uh, I think it's extremely important. A good mashkiach must also be a super detective. That's that's the key. If you don't have that mashkiach, then you're not going to find out things. Maybe, you know, maybe uh, something is going on. You never know. I, I always, re- I always uh, refer to this story, which actually Rabbi Luban told it to me, <laughs> about a store that was in their uh, neighborhood that was being sold by the the bakery was being sold, and the gentleman who was inquiring about it was a from Jew, and uh, the bakery uh, was discussing what how the things that they make, and the baker told him that uh, this product over here is a good item, and he said, but doesn't that need dairy? He says, yeah, of course it needs dairy, but you're a part of a bakery. Well, you know, when we may need to, uh, we send the mashkiach out. That's with the mashkiach. We send the mashkiach out. We send them on a job. And, and then we stick in the thing. We stick in the dairy ingredient. So he's able to pull off hiding for years and years and years, hiding a dairy ingredient with the mashkiach right there. So all these vegan places that, God forbid, don't have any bugs, and God forbid they don't have anything trafe in there, who's to prevent them in five minutes from putting in whatever they want into your food? And the mashkiach is coming every 10 days, or they maybe up to two weeks or even a month now. So this is not, you're not protected. You're just not being protected. Anyway, um, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on, tell you a little bit about this article, cause it's absolutely great. It's in this, uh, Dafa Kasha, it's a 250th edition. It's page 63. And let's just start with some items for us to understand, and then I'm gonna go into the discussion. Candy bars. What's wrong with candy bars? Well, I think most of us know candy bars you can't eat without ashkacha. But here are some of the things that are there. The flavors, the food coloring, 
and the emulsifiers and stabilizers. Those are the things to be scared about because it doesn't look, it looks innocuous when you read it on the label. Now then he tells us about tuna and sardines. Now, everybody knows sardines are sardines and tuna is tuna, right? It doesn't seem to be a big deal. Of course, I wouldn't uh, buy any of those without hashkocha, but we're trying to understand why it does need hashkocha. So, I don't know if you realize it, but they, of course, in the tuna, they use oil. And uh, they also can share the equipment with non-kosher fish or shrimp. And that's something I don't think many people know. And also, they uh, they make cat food. And they they, are, they they use things that are not kosher in making cat food. And, uh, you know, if it, in a kosher production, if they're doing that, they're doing it in a separate area. But if it's a non-kosher production, or it's, I mean, non-certified plant, no mashkir there, uh, you got a little bit of a problem. How do you know that the tuna is is being produced kosher? Chewing gum has flavors, food coloring, glycerin, emulsifiers, and stearates. Stearates are things that people don't go, are not familiar with enough about, but you have to look for that word stearate. There's uh, different types of stearates but most of them are from non-kosher sources. They could be kosher, but they're very often non-kosher. Chips, like, you know, uh, potato chips, so uh, corn chips, taco chips, things like that, the oil and the seasonings you have to worry about. And this one now that I'm going to tell you is probably 99% of the people listening never knew this. So pay attention. Garlic and onion powder and garlic and onion salt can contain stearates, and they're not kosher. I don't know if they have to be on the uh, on the ingredients. So it just looks like garlic powder or onion powder. You think it just became dried up, but they use stearates. Uh, another thing is the ice cream, of course, everybody understands. It's got gelatin in it and emulsifiers and food coloring and flavors. The roasted nuts. People think a roasted nut, what could be? But the roasted nuts use oil. And they sometimes share equipment with nuts that are processed with gelatin. And now that's a difficult situation. The, you know, the OU has on planters, and some of the planters has a K. Interesting. Some planters has an OU, some planters has a K. Who's the K? It's a rabbi who certifies gelatin products, regular gelatin from non-kosher animals. He considers it to be kosher. And he, he'll produce it, but they have control. The OU has a control. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to produce the OU on, on their, on their, on their product. The OU doesn't have a mashkiach standing there probably in the, in the factory, but it's set up in a way that the gelatin ones are done in a different area. They're maybe a different plant. I don't know, but whatever it is, the OU is satisfied that they took care of it. But that's something that we have to understand about roasted nuts that they do need to be kosher certified. Syrups, jams, and jellies. Now, this is another thing that many people don't know what I'm going to say now. Sometimes they use grape juice as a sweetener, and they share equipment with grape juice. So there could be contamination from grape juice in the syrups, jams, and jellies. I'm not talking about grape jelly. That's one thing. I understand that. But we're talking about any jam or jelly or any syrups that, that, cause they, if they, that, use, that may use grape juice in it. And you have to be very careful. When I say syrups, I don't think you you got what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about now uh, uh, chocolate syrup, 
Maybe that is too also true, but I'm, I'm talking about the, about the kind of syrups that go into, um, these, um, in, in, into canned fruits. They use a syrup. Very often they will use grape juice as the sweetener. And that's why we need ashkachas. It looks innocuous from the ingredients, but we may have non-kosher products there. Vegetable oil is sometimes they share the equipment with the animal oil. Now, he goes into discussing, I don't want to bore you with some of this stuff because it's so simple to me. I don't think anyone listening needs to hear every detail. But he had a, a very funny piece here. He tried to... uh discuss about fish, what could go wrong with fish. Now, I can't imagine that anybody listening to me has the Yetzirah to eat fish out. The non, in that state of confusion that I was talking about earlier, yes, they might eat fish out. And uh, that's the, there are American Jews who might eat fish out and not realize what they're getting themselves into. Uh, but I don't think our listeners are in that mode, so I'm not going to really spend the time going through it. Obviously, you need simon and fish need to be uh, checked that they're kosher fish, and you need to check. You have to see the skin. You have to see the skin or the thin uh, the uh, scales. You have to, uh, you know, you have to use separate uh, uh, pot uh, kalim, separate utensils for preparing. You can't use it with treif. You can't have treif in the oven at the same time. I mean, it's an, it's an impossibility. The knives and the thing to take it out with a, the spatula. It's impossible that in a non-kosher setting you're going to be able to order fish that are kosher. So he has a very funny line here, which I thought is cute. So he says, uh, here's what you could do, he said. You can go over to the waiter. The waiter comes to pick up your order. You say, uh, you give him instructions. Waiter, listen carefully, please. I want a piece of broiled halibut. Leave the skin on and don't scrape off the scales. Uh, don't slice the fish with your knives and bake it in a new unused aluminum foil pan. Make sure there are no other foods in the oven which may splatter on my fish while it's baking. Don't put anything on this fish at all. Serve the fish on a disposable paper plate with plastic silverware. Don't take the fish off the baking pan with a spatula, which isn't kosher. Just toss it off by turning the pan upside down. Uh, did you get all that, waiter? I, I think that was a great line. I, 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 I thought it's worth hearing. You know, yes, maybe in, in an unreal world, we could somehow guarantee that we have everything kosher. But it, it would take all that, and then it still doesn't work, because bishalako, it's been cooked by a non-Jew, and they have no, a non-Jew has no nemonis. You can't trust a non-Jew, even though we mentioned earlier that Rabbi so-and-so is trusting all the non-Jewish owners of his vegan restaurants that they check the, the vegetables properly. So, I mean, you know, it, it's not part of our kosher system. Uh, I'm going to mention a, a few more items from here, which this is a little bit uh, strong, but I, I want people to understand. Uh, I mean, this is written in an OU publication. Rabbi Luban is a wonderful gentleman. He's not attacking anybody. But he is explaining to us a little bit of the difference between different rabbis. He had a lengthy piece discussing how people come over from Europe and they weren't aware of everything and how we... The, the, the conscious agencies today were not aware of everything 50 years ago. But as time went on, they became aware of all the intricacies of food management, food technology, food production. 
and they can't be fooled. They know what they're looking for. They know how they have specialists going from plant to plant. Everybody has been trained properly. It's a it's a different ball game today than it was when I started studying kashras some forty years ago. It it's a it's a whole different world today. The number of people, of course, there's more hashkachas, but the number of people in the industry is phenomenal. They used to have one, two rabbis handling 50, 100, 200 hashkachas, whatever it was. And uh, now people farm out. They have people working underneath them. It's it's all a pyramid. It's it's all set up very nicely. So here's what um, he points out. There's one final reason why some supervisions are not up to snuff. That means they're not good enough. There's a small group of rabbis whose halachic standards are inferior to those of most mainstream kashrus agencies. For example, some rabbis allow companies to use non-kosher ingredients in certain instances based on a very questionable halachic decisions. In other words, that it's batal b'shishim or something like that. Some supervisions rely on very weak systems of control and too much trust is placed in the hands of plant personnel. And I'll add, of course, uh, restaurateurs and all their staff. My colleagues and I have been to plants which required regular inspections, but were visited only once every year or two. Uh, He's being nice. I remember one of the places that somebody went to, I believe from the OU, and they said, Rabbi, we had a rabbi certifying here but he hasn't visited us in 14 years. 14 years, not every year or two. In other instances, companies were allowed to operate with compatible kosher and non-kosher ingredients such as vegetable and animal glycerin without a mashkiach, without a mashkiach checking that the non-kosher ingredients do not end up in the certified kosher product. I've also seen situations where non-Jewish plant managers oversaw kosherization between non-kosher and kosher without a mashkiach being present. That is that is really bad. In other words, you're, you're relying on the non-Jew that he koshered the plant. Well, we had a, oh yes, we are rabbi, we, we koshered between A and B. Now, what they used to do, some of them used to do, was to rely, I mean, some maybe even still do, to rely on the printouts which is the which shows actually the temperature the thing got up to and when it was done maybe they were relying on that but in the what he's talking about is that people relied on the non-Jew saying it was done so uh, this is what we are confronting now in Kashrus we have a situation where we have two standards we have the standards put out by the OU the OK, the CUFK, the STAR-K, the CRC in Chicago, and the Hamish organizations, and people who are trying to do the maximum. At the same time, we have a set of individuals who are decided to do a lower standard of kashras. One rabbi that I've talked about here on the show, but I never mentioned him by name either, is giving Ashkocha. I mean, there are several rabbis that are giving Ashkocha on cheese in a manner that we do not consider to be kosher. We consider it to be Gvinus Akum. But they say that's the minimum standard. It's acceptable. And we say it's not acceptable. And it, it has, it, that's not how we do kosher in America. But they're trying to cut it back, make it easier and easier 
less hashgacha and make the claim that that's basic kashrus. Yes, in the 1950s, that was what we had. And we had it because we didn't know any better and we couldn't do any better. But today, we don't need it. And we have good stuff. We don't have to come on to these rabbis who are trying to create a new lower standard of kashrus. And people have to step up to the plate and tell them, whether you tell them personally, I'm not going to try to tell anybody personally, or just by you know avoiding those places and telling other people to avoid those places. And all you have to remember is, tell your friends, they ask you about this restaurant, do you know anything about it? Well, why don't you just check if it's open on Shabbos and if there's a mashkiach. If it's open on Shabbos and there's no mashkiach at all, then I don't think it's where you, where you belong. And that's why I answer most people, by the way. I say, it's not for you. I, even though I don't know their name, I don't know what their telephone number, I don't know anything. They're all, it's all blocked. And they're calling me up and asking me about a certain thing. I said, it's not for you. How do I know who they are? I don't know. But I know that I can't say it's good, so I say, it's not for you. I don't want to say Lashon Hara about the rabbi. I don't want to go into that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take anybody's panos away. I'm not trying to get him fired out of any of his jobs. I don't, if he wants to give a shkocha, I'm not, that's not my ASIC. But, but, because for that, you have to have very broad shoulders. You got to be convinced the guy is a Russia. But otherwise, you don't go there. But we should have a higher standard. We're not living in that place that I talked about where I was yesterday in the state of confusion. We're living where we know it. We understand it. We feel it. We have it in our fingertips. We have good people. We don't have to go and, and, and experience life like some other people are with the minimum standards. So that's, that's where I think everybody should be thinking. I just want to mention a book that's came out, New Safer. I didn't get a chance to buy it today, but I'm going to buy it in the course of the week. It's more for, uh, you know, I, don't, don't be scared about the name. It's called Pas Yisrael and Bishi Yisrael, Contemporary Applications of the Halachas of Food Prepared by a Non-Jew, Arranged According to the Order of the Shulchan Aruch and Simon Kufiud Base and Kufiud Gimel. That's the scary part. But I know who wrote it, and it's, it should be very good. If you want to, you're not going to see it in Sfarim stores because it's not sold in Sfarim stores. It's sold on Lulu. L-U-L-U. Sold on Lulu. It's called Pas Yisrael and Bish Yisrael. But the easiest way to remember it is Rabbi David Cohen. Just say David Cohen. And um, the book is $22 and shipping. I think you can get the shipping off, whatever it is. But anyway, he, he is the, uh, in, in CRC in Chicago, He's the one who records everything in the halacha. Uh, he, he writes up all the notes of the ACO meetings. He's on top of his game. When he was, uh, he was, he, he, he had Rabbi Gerson's job at the OU before he left. And, and Rabbi Gerson took over his job. Uh, and that was asking that Rabbi Belsky, Zatzal, and Mahavdal bin Chaim, Chaim, Rabbi Herschel Schachter, and Rabbi, and Rabbi Ganak, what their opinions were and, and tr- coordinating. He was a coord- halacha coordinator for the OU, and now he's like a halacha coordinator with Rabbi Schwartz and Rabbi Fishbane at the CRC in Chicago. So the man knows his stuff inside out, very, very clear. 
extremely clear, and I'm really rushing to get that safer. And if I get it soon, I'm going to try to get him on the show because he has to tell us a lot of the things that he's learned, which probably are extraordinary. So that, that's a little bit of uh, what's happening in my week in, in Kashrus. I'll just share with you again two things that we mentioned before, that we have a we have shiurim, if people would like to come. Men, it's only men only, of course. That's... Uh, in 1114 Avenue O, between East 12th and Coney Island Avenue, for 8.30 tonight, Monday night. And if you can't make the night Monday night, then you can come Wednesday, Thursday, or Sunday, because I have four different shiurim at nighttime on your day. We also have shiurim on Sunday. They're at they're a different address, 1358 East 13th Street. And that's at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. We do Hilchas Brachos, followed by Hilchas Shabbos. So that's the little bit what I do in the middle of the part of the week. And if you'd like to touch base with us, either to get the magazine or to find out more about the shiurim or to sign up, there's no charge for the shiurim. Just we would like to know you're coming. And that my telephone number is 718-336-8544. Rabbi Wickler from Kashmir's Magazine. 718-336-8544, or you can shoot us an email at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. We'd also love to hear from you about what you'd like to hear, more things you'd like to hear on the show. And uh, if you have questions you want us to discuss on the show, you're going to send it in, and we'll we'll make sure we get it, get to it in the near future. So let's uh, just sum up a couple of things that we mentioned today. We were talking about what could be wrong with from Rabbi Luban. We were talking a little bit about what is going on in the vegan world. And we talked about two standards of kashras that we're seeing presented in front of us. And it gets a little confusing. But with minimal effort, you can discover who is behind the scenes taking care of the, the business. Is, the, is it a mashkiach on the premises? Is, is the place open on Shabbos? You, it, it's not too hard to find out what kind of standard is applied to the restaurant which you're going to. And we talked a little bit also about the uh, things that could go wrong. I wanted to go into another topic I had here, but it, there's no time for that. Um, and we mentioned also Rabbi David Cohen's book, Pas Yisrael and Bish Yisrael, and we talked a little bit about Rabbi Moshe Pirilli's Zatzal, who was Mekadashem Shemayim and learning Torah Barabim, and uh, who was considered to be an outstanding Masmid, uh, the Torah Hakadosha in our generation. Uh, anyone who knew him know that what I said is 100% correct. So until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, for Kashrus on the Air, wishing you a wonderful week.